Let's uh, turn to the book of Acts, if you will, please. The book of Acts, chapter 13, says, But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. It's talking about Jesus. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren. Let me pause uh, there and say a word about uh, verse 37. You know, some deny that Jesus was ever placed in the tomb uh, of Joseph of Arimathea there. And they said, we have checked the tomb, and there's no evidence that a dead body ever was put in this grave. Well, that's true. The Bible says he saw no corruption. Amen. Now, that's not true about uh, you and I, but it's true about the Lord. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as I bow in your presence, Lord, I do thank you for another privilege to preach. Thank you, Lord, for the good songs of praise. Uh, that we've heard tonight. And thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. Thank you for a Savior. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would just work in my heart and the hearts of all who have gathered for this service. Oh, God, move by your power. Bring conviction upon that one that may be lost and save them. And, Lord, revive the hearts of your people. And we'll praise you even now for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And let me talk to you a while on the benefits of living on this side of Calvary. You know, when I read the Bible and I read about uh, the miracles and all those things that happen, and I, I think of how wonderful it must would have been to live in those days, in the days of Moses, for instance. I, uh, I read that story about the parting of the Red Sea, and uh, that, that had to be something, you know. If you've ever seen the Ten Commandments, uh, it's quite impressive, but I, I don't think that's nearly as impressive as the real thing was. And to have observed that and seen that would have been wonderful. Yeah. Then I think of David, King David, and how he killed Goliath. Uh, uh, that had to be a, a great experience. Yeah. The days of Solomon when the kingdom was at its zenith. And then, of course, uh, the days when Jesus Christ was here. And to have saw, seen the miracles, to have seen him open the blinded eyes and cleanse the leper, to raise the dead, uh, to calm the stormy sea. I don't know that I'd care much about being in the storm, but I'd sure like to see that sea calm. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd like to observe that maybe from a distance. Uh, to feed into the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fishes. Uh, that had to be great. And all those great miracles uh, that Jesus performed. But I say to you tonight, to live in this day and to live on this side of Calvary exceeds any of these things that we read about, Amen. I believe, in these miracles. You say, how could that be? Well, first of all, uh, is because we're living under grace. Yeah. And I talked about that this morning. We'll not re-preach uh, that message, but 
Uh, here in verse 39, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from whence you could not be justified by the law of Moses. All the law could do was uh, condemn you uh, because all are sinful. But uh, grace justifies. I want to turn in the Schofield Bible, if you have a Schofield reference Bible, and I like what Dr. Schofield here has to say about grace in John chapter 1 and the summary of grace here. Notice what he says. If you'd like to look at John 1, and he says, Grace is the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man, not by works of righteousness which we have done. That's in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. And I like that Bible definition, I guess, better than any. Uh, you know, I've heard different definitions of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, and, and uh, the undeserved love and mercy of God. But Titus says there that it is the uh, love, the kindness, and love of God our Savior toward man. Yeah. Now, that's a great definition. Yeah. Now, he says it is therefore constantly said in contrast to law, under which God demands righteousness from man, as under grace, he gives righteousness to man. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. The law demanded righteousness. The problem was it was weak through the flesh. Right. Man could not produce it. That was the problem. That was the difference. That, uh, that man could not measure up to the demands of a holy law. Yeah. So under the law, the law demanded righteousness, which man could not produce. But under grace, Christ gives righteousness. Amen undeserving man. That's a wonderful truth there. Then he goes on and said, law is connected with Moses and works. Grace with Christ and faith. Law blesses the good. Grace saves the bad. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. And uh, you know, if, it, if, if our hope of heaven depended on our own goodness, we'd all end up in hell. The law blesses the good. The problem is there's none good, the Bible says. No, no one. We're all in this thing together. And we're all a bunch of sinners. But grace saves the bad. Law demands that blessings be earned. Grace is a free gift. So the law of God said, if you do this, I'll bless you. If you don't do this, then I'll curse you. That was the law. But grace, grace is the free uh, gift of God. Now, anyone that's ever been saved has been saved by the grace of God. Amen. And, and we brought that out this morning. Uh, certainly, the grace of God does not give one a license to sin. Uh, I've been accused of that, but I don't know any true Bible preacher uh, that preaches that you can be saved and live any way you want to. As I mentioned this morning, if you believe right, you're going to live right. Yeah. In fact, that's the only way you'll ever live right is to get your heart right. Now, what does the grace of God teach? In the book of Titus, if you'll turn with me, the book of Titus, chapter 2, and uh, verse number 11, he says, uh, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So here he says the grace of God teaches us 
basically to live right, to deny godliness and worldly lust. We shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The operation of God's grace in, in one's life uh, is the only thing that will enable a person to live for God. People say, well, I've tried to live right, and I can't. Well, get saved. I told you the story that happened a number of years ago. Some truck drivers were saved, and they began to witness to their, to their friends, their buddies, and, and they had this one fellow. They'd been talking to him and said, Preacher, we want you to go see him. So I went and visited with him, explained the way of salvation. I said, now we'd love for you to get saved. He said, I can't get saved. He said, why? I said, why? He said, I can't live it. And uh, he said, I've been trying for two weeks, two or three weeks, and I can't live it. He said, these other fellows, they change, but I can't change. And he said, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to get saved till I'm sure I can live it. And I explained to him, I said, you're trying to get the cart before the horse. Galatians 2.20 said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I said, the first thing is you have to be saved. And once you get saved, your life will change. And he bowed and received Christ, and that which was impossible before now became possible. Now he realized he could live right. Because it really wasn't him doing it, it was Christ in him. And that's the difference. If you try to live right, you'll never be successful. But if you let Christ live his life through you, then you'll be successful in the Lord. And so we are living under grace and not under law. Now under under law, uh, when a person offered their prayers and all, they went to the high priest. He went behind the veil and interceded in the behalf of the people. But the Bible says in Hebrews, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. We may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I don't have to pray through Mary. I don't have to pray through saints. I can go directly to the throne of grace, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So uh, the contrast is set forth there. Now under law, they brought a blood sacrifice, an animal sacrifice uh, on a regular basis. Every year, the high priest went behind the veil and offered the blood. It was only a type of Christ. We don't have to do that. He offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And all we have to do is trust in the blood of Jesus. Let me move on. Not only do we, uh, are we living under grace, but we have the complete revelation of God. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, they didn't have that. All they had was the Old Testament Scripture. And uh, thank God for the New Testament uh, that we have. And uh, uh, that, of course, those early disciples, they preached out of the, uh, out of the Old Testament Scriptures. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, fit together in the Old Testament is prophesied in the New Testament it's fulfilled. Someone said all oh, the Old Testament's fulfilled. We don't need that anymore. Well, it isn't all fulfilled. A lot of it is, but there's some's not fulfilled. I was visiting one night and talking to these folks and, and they said the uh, all the Old Testament's fulfilled. I said, is that right? 
And I read to them in Zechariah where it said, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives will cleave under his feet, and there will be a great valley. And, and I said, When did that happen? Go ahead, I said, In fact, I've been there. And it's still not split open. Yeah. I said, When did that happen? I said, We don't know, but every preacher can tell you. <laughs> I said, As soon as you find out, let me know. <laughs> Of course, I never heard from. But we have the complete revelation of God. I think of those wonderful scriptures that we have. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, where it talks about the coming of the Lord. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of our angel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in there. Yeah. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Yeah. Now we have that blessed scripture. He said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. They didn't have that scripture. Right. You know, sometimes we may be critical of, of those Old Testament saints of God, but they didn't have all that we have. And may I say to you, people say, well, but they done some things they should not have done. Well, so have we. Yeah, but I want to tell you something. God's going to hold us more accountable than he did then. Right. Unto whom much is given, much is required. And so we who have the complete revelation of God, uh, we are more accountable and more responsible to the Lord. And I think of that scripture in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Yeah. That wonderful chapter in Romans chapter 8 that teaches us how we can be victorious as a Christian and what a blessing that is to us. And all the scriptures and revelation, what will we do without revelation? I don't know about you, but uh, if you've ever taken a book and and uh, you get the book and you read it a little bit and then you turn over the last chapter and see how it all ends. <laughs> and uh, uh, maybe you read the story about, uh, uh, about what's happening, but you know it's going to end up all right. And thank God I've read the last chapter. Amen. It all ends up all right. Yeah. And we may go through a whole lot between here and there, but it's going to end up all right. And I've always been fascinated with the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. <laughs> Aren't you glad for that scripture? Listen, we have those wonderful words of scripture. They didn't have that, but thank God we have it. That promise, God's going to wipe the tears away. There's not going to be any more dying. There's not a person in this building tonight but what's been touched by death, some member of your family, uh, some loved one that you've had to say goodbye to. But God's going to put an end to that one day, and there will be no more death. In fact, Revelation said he has the keys of death and of hell. Jesus has the keys. So we don't have to worry about it. And he said, there's not going to be any more pain. Now, I can identify with that. Some of you can. When I was younger, I didn't identify with that a whole lot. But as I get older, someone says you can tell when you're getting old because everything that doesn't hurt doesn't work. <laughs> well, I guess that's, uh, that's true. Pain. And, uh, you know, I guess the nervous system is a wonderful thing. And, 
And I, I heard of this, uh, I think it was a young man one time that, uh, uh, that uh, is never, anyway, he could put his hand on a hot stove and not feel any pain. And uh, that'd be a terrible thing as well. So the nervous system is important, but I don't know how God's going to do all this, but the Bible said there'll be no more pain. And uh, the former things are passed away. We have the complete revelation of God. In, in days gone by, uh, they, God revealed himself to man through visions and dreams and personal appearances, angelic appearances. But now, if you need to know anything, you can find it in the pages of the Word of God. And it's all in here. And though, though the Bible may not deal specifically with the situation, it always deals with a principle to guide you in making the right decision. Yes, I have found that to be true. Uh, and uh, uh, we have in Revelation 22, very familiar scripture, verse 18 and 19, For I testified every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, I think that's interesting. Uh, when have we seen all this revision coming about? We've seen it in my lifetime for the most part. And I believe in my lifetime we'll have the tribulation period. God's going to add the plagues. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Yeah. Now that tells me that when God finished it, he finished it. Right, there ain't anything else to be done. There's no more scripture to be written. Yeah. It doesn't need to, it can't be improved on. Yeah. Uh, it is a book that you can trust. Then not only that, but the third and final point is the benefits of living on this side of Calvary is we have the abiding presence of the blessed Holy Spirit of God to indwell us forever. And, uh, you know, in the Old Testament times, he would come upon people for a specific task, as in the case of Samson. In Judges 15 and verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, if you see the pictures, the paintings of Samson, you'll find they picture Samson as, a, as a, this man with bulging muscles and a real huge fellow. I, I really don't think it was that way at all. I think he's probably this ordinary looking fellow. And when the Spirit of God came upon him, he had this supernatural strength. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon him for that purpose. And then we find in uh, 1 Samuel 16, 14, that the Bible says the Lord took his Holy Spirit from Saul. He took his Holy Spirit from King Saul and in Psalm 51, 11, David prayed, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He was praying correctly because God did that to Saul and David said, Lord, don't do that to me because he had seen what, what happened when the Spirit of God was gone. And he had to, an evil spirit would trouble Saul and David would play for him there. You know, music has, has an amazing effect on people, doesn't it? You know, the devil, the devil is very interested in music. The Lord's interested in music, but so is the devil. And the devil uses music and uses it in our day and will use it in the future. He's used it in the past. You remember there in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar made that image? a type of the image of Antichrist. 
and uh, it was 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and uh, they fell, were commanded to fall down and worship the image when the six different instruments of music were played. Six, six, six. And so the devil is very interested in music. Music can be an instrument for the Lord. It can be an instrument for the devil. But so they prayed, take not, David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now that would be unscriptural for you to pray that way. Because God's never going to take his Holy Spirit from you or me. You say, how do you know that? John 14, verse 16 and 17, And I will pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now the Lord said he will be in you and he will abide with you forever. That's why you can never lose your salvation. Because would you say a person's lost that has the Holy Spirit living in him? I don't think so. And Jesus said he would abide with you for how long? Forever. That's long enough. He'll abide with you forever. Now, there's a lot of controversy about when you receive the Holy Spirit, but in Acts 10, 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. For the Holy Spirit comes inside of you when you get saved. And he's never going to leave. Now, these are some things that, uh, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit does. The Bible said in John 3, 5, we're born of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost. We're born again. No salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. He is the agent of the new birth. And we are born of the Holy Ghost. We possess the Holy Ghost in Romans 8, verse 9. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We are led by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And by the way, they're the same. Spirit and ghost mean the same thing. Romans 8, 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And we are assured by the Holy Ghost, Romans 8, 16. We are sealed by the Holy Ghost, Ephesians 4, 30. And we are filled with the Holy Ghost in Ephesians 5, 18, be not drunk with wine where in success, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, the filling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are two different things. Right. The baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place at the time of salvation. Right. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is something we need to experience over and over and over again. Yeah. What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? It's simply allowing the Spirit of God who lives within us to control our life, to direct our life. And I want my life to to be led by the Spirit of God. Uh, You know, uh, I want to do this. I I try to do this. You know, uh, try to wake up a little bit before you have to get up and take that snooze button off of your clock and, and don't use that thing. I don't see how people live like that. Uh, You know, uh, my wife keeps the clock about uh, 10, 15 minutes fast. I don't understand that either. Uh, But that's that's her thing, and that suits her, suits me. 
but I've got another clock. I can find the real time. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but uh, uh, the snooze button, you're supposed to get up at 6 o'clock and, and the thing starts off at 5.30. And then, bang, hit the snooze button, gives you 10 more minutes and hit it again. And, uh, you know, I can't live like that. If I got to get up at 5.30, set the thing at 5.30, and when it goes off, get up. <laughs> but, uh, or set it a little early, and then you have some time to talk to the Lord. And I don't know about you, uh, whatever, whatever works for you, but I find that's the best time I have in really talking to the Lord. My mind's fresh and, and not uh, filled with all the cares and responsibilities of the day and uh, say, Lord, uh, what do you want me to do today? I want you to direct my life. I want to, I realize, I've, I've finally come to realize I can't get it all done anyway. And you do some and start the next day, do some more. And, and uh, but Lord, where do you want me to go? And what do you want me to do? And God, I want your direction. I want to be led by the Spirit of God every day of my life because I believe what I do today will affect me 10 million years from now. It is too important and too precious to waste one single day. And we need to be led by the Spirit of God. I want to close in saying this. We talked about the benefits. We're living under grace. We have the complete revelation of God. We have the abiding presence of the Spirit of God. But I'll tell you, one of the greatest benefits I think of all is I believe Jesus is coming soon. In fact, I believe he's coming in my lifetime. <laughs> he's going to have to hurry. <laughs> but uh, don't, you, don't you worry. He'll be here. Amen. I don't know exactly. You say you're going to set a date? No, I'm not going to do that. I'd be anti-scriptural if I tried to do that. Right. Bible says no man knows that. Anybody tries to tell you they do is just uh, dis misinformed because God will never violate his word. I don't care what any preacher says. He's never going to violate his word. I care what I say or no one else says. So nobody knows the day nor the hour. But he did say, when you see these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Yeah. You can't know the day nor the hour, but you can know when, it's at the, when he's at the door. That's, that's pretty close, isn't it? And I think the door of heaven is just about to be open. And uh, if you study Matthew chapter 24, there's many scriptures I could go in tonight. It's another message. But on why I believe uh, what's happening in the Middle East and what's happening worldwide is all this, this setting up of the time for the coming of the Lord. Brother Thomason taught in Sunday school this morning, dealt with the signs that God gave to Israel there in Mark that corresponds to Matthew 24. And, and I almost preached a message on that this morning. <laughs> and uh, he preached it for me, just about. But uh, uh, I believe the Lord Jesus is coming soon. Yeah. And isn't it exciting to know that we may go home tonight and go to bed and go to sleep and suddenly be awakened and be with the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and this old body with all of its problem and with all of its sickness and with all of its troubles will be over forever. Yeah. Uh, just in a moment, in an instant of time. And we have that blessed promise uh, from the Lord himself. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 44, Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. You know the sad thing tonight? Though we think of the excitement of getting a glorified, perfect body, 
living with God forever and ever and never dying and never getting sick? Can, how, how does one not comprehend that? <laughs> A world where nobody ever gets old. I, I've known some of you folks for, for a good while. I was pretty young when my family was when we came to, to Marion. And uh, I was trying to think how old the kids were, seven or nine, is that right? And uh, that's been many moons ago. Uh, and you've seen me age, and I've seen you age, and I've saw some of these kids grow up, some of these little toddlers running around, now they're married and got babies themselves. And, and uh, uh, we, we see the effects of time and the effects of age. And wouldn't it be wonderful to have a body that'll never age? and never get old, and never die, and never have any pain, never have any sickness. Can you imagine a world like that? Can you imagine a world where the trees are perfect, and, and uh, you don't have to fight the disease, and the insects, and all that to try to grow a garden? <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was thinking, you know, I, I love the garden, enjoy, enjoy the seeing things grow, but I was thinking this one of those potato bugs, and uh, those stinking things. They, I, I sprayed them with seven, and they just eat it and kept eating the taters. <laughs> and you know, I don't know what's going to happen. It may get you can't even grow anything, and so they keep making stronger poisons. And you put that poison, then the poison kills you, and so you can't win for losing. People get all upset, all disturbed, and all flabbergasted about all that. But uh, we're about through anyway. We're just about headed home, and Amen. we shouldn't be worried too much about it. Amen. The Lord's coming, yeah. and He's going to make everything right. Amen. But the sad thing is that their multitudes are not ready. And there may be someone here tonight, you're not ready. And I talk about a new body, and I talk about a new earth and a new eternity. And the fact is, you're going to miss it all because you've never really been born again. And this church cannot save you, and I can't save you, and you can't save yourself. And the only hope is to say, Oh, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I can't help myself, but I sure want to be helped. I sure don't want to miss out on that you've got for me. I don't want to miss out on that new body and that new eternity. I don't want to miss it. And thank God you don't have to. The only thing you have to do is come to the place that you're willing to take it. As I mentioned this morning, you're willing to receive it as a gift. As long as you try to help God do it, you'll never get saved. There's nothing you can do before you get saved. There's nothing you can do after you get saved to make you saved. The only thing a person can do is say, I'm a hell-deserving sinner. I'm willing to receive the gift of salvation. Lord, if you'll give it to me, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it, and I'll accept it free, and I'll not try to work and do anything for it. I'll just take it as a gift. If you'll do that, God will save you. He'll do something in your heart that will change you forever. You'll never be the same. I don't know how to explain <laughs> what happens, but I'll tell you, God does a miracle of grace. Let's bow our heads, please.